Thank you for listening to the Parker DC Sermon Podcast. The following message is a ministry of Parker Memorial Baptist Armorville campus. We aim to be biblically faithful, Christ exalting, and God glorifying as we preach and teach the scriptures with boldness and application. We hope you will join us in person this Sunday morning at 11 a.m. for worship celebration. For more information about Parker DC, visit us at www.dclivelove.com. We hope you enjoy. Thank you. Baby is going to change the world. That was too good not to share. So if you have a Bible, if you're opening your Bible, Luke uh, chapter 2. If you are preschool kids, I think you guys are dismissed, right? Uh, and y'all can come back in at the music later if you want to, okay? So uh, preschool kids, age 3 through 5. Everybody else, if you'll take your Bible to Luke chapter 2. And what I believe is a story that perhaps, perhaps, perhaps inspired Perhaps the most famous Christmas song on the radio today. I don't want a lot for Christmas, but there's just one thing I need. My wife told me to stop. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own. More than I could ever know. Something like that. What else can I do, baby? All I want for Christmas is you. The story of, of Simeon. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Now, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fast-forwarding our, our story in the, the Advent and the, the birth of Jesus. We'll come back this Wednesday night. I do want to encourage you to come this Wednesday night for our carols, candles, and cookie service. It'll be at 6 o'clock right here. Uh, we'll come back to the Christmas, the birth of Jesus. But uh, we're a little bit past the birth. This is about 40 days after the birth of Jesus. We left off last week in Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. And we get to the very significant moment. And it's a moment that I, I want to loop into the Christmas narrative because it's a description. Daniel, behave yourself over there, okay? Uh, you're welcome. Uh, so it's a description that I think highlights again the title of Messiah for Jesus, and early on, that there were people recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah. And so I'm encouraged by that, and I'm going to share that with you this morning. So if you have Luke chapter 2, verse 21, I'll try not to sing anymore for y'all. Amen? You're welcome. Verse 21, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, Jesus himself, he was called Jesus, a name given by the angel. Notice the obedience of Mary and Joseph before he was conceived in the womb. Verse 22, and when the time came... For their purification according to the law of Moses. Now I want to emphasize this. You see the highlighted words here. Five times. Five times Luke uses the word the law in this chapter. Now that's significant because there's, there's not that many times the rest of the book all combined. Okay. So he's making a point here. According to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as is written in the law of the Lord. And the law says every male who first opens the womb with the firstborn should be called holy or set apart, unique, separate to the Lord. And I, I gave you some references there. If you want to just like footnote that, the references in the law is in Exodus 13 and Numbers chapter 18 in regard to that. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice, again, according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Here we go, the law of the Lord again. A pair of turtle doves, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. Sorry, my bad. That was last year. Won't do that again. All right? Or two young pigeons. Now, the law says in Leviticus that uh, if for a poor family, if they could not afford a, a lamb to sacrifice at this moment, they could, they could do two turtle doves, 
or two young pigeons based upon the time of the year. So if the uh, turtle doves have, have flown away, migrated away, the pigeons were always there. And so for a poorer family, they could bring, and so it obviously indicates that, that Mary and Joseph are not wealthy. So if you want to put a timeline together, if you're looking at our beautiful nativity, the wise guys, the wise men probably ain't there yet because the gifts of the hippopotamus, no, sorry, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh were not there yet. So they were a poor family. Second Corinthians chapter 8 tells us of Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Okay? That doesn't mean like, okay, so like, does that mean he was like poor and impoverished because he came to this earth? Yes. But I also believe that he came from a poor family so that by his poverty, you might become rich, Paul says. Number one, if you have a worship guide this morning, if you're at home, grab a paper pad, a Bible out as we go through this. I'm going to fill in a couple of these things quickly because we've still got music to go. And I know I can't preach the entire 45 minutes to an hour, okay? Although I'd like to, okay? Number one, Jesus is never in opposition to God's law or the Father's law, okay? He's never in opposition to God's law. But he fulfills it. In fact, you remember Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And so as a result of that, consequently, church, we don't get to ignore God's law. I think, I think Luke is making a point because he keeps on mentioning the law of the Lord. And, and watch how Mary and Joseph walked in obedience to the law of the Lord, exactly as was written in the Old Testament, Old Testament commands. They didn't say, well, he's, he's Jesus, he's Messiah, he is the exception to the rule, and so we don't have to do any of those things. No, they walked in obedience as a, as a young man and a young woman in obedience. As a result of that, they set Jesus up to do the very same thing. Jesus didn't cut any corners in regard to following God's word, and neither should we. Amen? Neither should we. Charles Spurgeon said this, Our Savior puts himself under the law for our sakes. And every jot and tittle, those are the smallest little markings in a Greek alphabet, he observed it, the law. So we are delivered from its dominion. For if Christ has fulfilled the law on our account, it has more claim upon us. Or essentially, we should be obedient to God's word. Now, there's a distinction. When I was in Sunday school class a couple weeks ago, we talked about the law for a minute. There's a distinction in the law. There's, there is the moral law. Right? The moral law is the commands of God in regard to our morality. Okay? Then there's a ceremonial ritual law of the Old Testament Judaism. Okay? What, most of us are Gentile Christians. If we're Gentile Christians, we don't have to follow according to Acts chapter 15 and the Jerusalem Council. We don't have to follow all the, the ritual and the ceremonial law, but we do have to follow God's moral law. Right? That moral law is not up for debate. In a culture today that wants to debate that, say, well, times have changed, God's law has changed, and I would tell you bull malarkey. God's word doesn't change. His law doesn't change. As a result of that, we are to walk and live under his moral law. So we may say, well, Romans chapter 6 says, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but you are under grace. And that is true. The law of sin and death, Christian, does not apply to you, but God's moral law does. Amen? Romans chapter 3 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So even as Jesus fulfills the law, it does not disregard God's moral law for our life. Romans 7, What then shall we say? The law is sin. Paul says, By no means. It can't say, God's word is not sin by no means. Yet if it had been, not been for the law, I would have not known my own sin. 
For I would have not known what it was to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. You know what, what rules do? They make us aware of the fact that we're not very good rule keepers, right? Amen, right? I don't know about any of you guys, but uh, when somebody tells me, don't do this, there's a tendency inside of me that says, I really want to do that. I, I, have a, 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 I have a young son, right? And I'm like him in so many different ways. And you tell him, don't push that button. Don't push that button. Don't do it. And you know what he wants to do? Push the button, right? It's like that big red button that you're not supposed to push, but you just got to push the button, right? Well, that's what the law does. It makes us aware of the fact that we, not, we don't need to, but we inherently, sinfully want to. Paul would say again, Romans chapter 7, continue on. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive uh, apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So sin leads to death. And the law makes me aware of it. The very commandment that promised life proved to me death for me. For a sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. Holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And it goes on, but he listen, but we are not, right? Galatians 4, 4 and 5, 4 and 5 says this. I've used it every week of the series. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the what? The law to redeem those who are under the what? The law so that we might receive adoption as son. A.W. Tozer said this, A child of God must be completely obedient to the word of the Lord. The driver on the highway is safe, not when he reads the signs, but when he obeys them, right? Christian, we need to live in the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord. If Mary and Joseph and Jesus followed God's commandments, why wouldn't we? Amen? It's not a, like there's, there's a tendency in modern Christianity to live smorgasbord Christianity. That means we pick and choose the laws that we really want to keep, the rules we want to keep. But if, they, if they're not comfortable, if they're not convenient, then we disregard those, right? That is not biblical Christianity. We must live in the law of the Lord. Number two, peace is impossible without obedience. The obedience to God's word, right? Today, our, our Advent... Uh, theme is that of peace. But we cannot have peace with God unless we live under the moral will and law of God, right? Uh, you, ever, you ever lived in a, maybe a series or a season of sin before, and you had turned your back maybe on God? You were, well, you remember old bats, we called it uh, backsliding. Remember that? You ever been a season of backsliding before, right? And you really didn't want to, to like go to church. You didn't want to read your Bible. You didn't want those things, right? Because you were painfully aware that you were not being obedient to what God's word said. Was there any peace in your heart during that season? Was there any peace in your life during that season? No. Because inherently, if you're a Christian, inherently, if you are a born-again believer and you try to, to turn your back on Christ, there is this thing called the Holy Spirit that will light you up like a Christmas tree, Right? He won't let you have peace. So peace is only possible with obedience. We see that in Mary and Joseph. We see that in Jesus. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And those commandments are not burdensome. John would say in his gospel, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You obey my commandments. Right? MacArthur, John MacArthur said, obedience is the only validation of your salvation. It is the only possible proof that you have really recognized the lordship of Jesus Christ. Obedience. 
so that we live under the law of God, the will of God, right? And we obey that will to its fullest extent. Five times in this chapter, we see the law of the Lord and Mary and Joseph walking and leading their baby boy in the law of the Lord to be obedient to its very fullest extent. Number three, I'm told you, I'm gonna preach fast, okay? Y'all good? Everybody good? Now, this can get to the, the good part, the fun part of this text. Life is a series, number three, life is a series of one providential moment after another. There is no such thing as coincidence, only providence. I do not believe in luck. Do you? I don't believe in luck. Now, the closest thing I can say to say that I'm a lucky man is to say that I married my wife, Kim Bentley. Outside of that, I don't really believe in luck. Even that, I believe in absolute providence, Right? Providence is that God is directing all things towards his purposes, right? Proverbs 16, verse 33. The lot or the dice is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Everything. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of man plans his ways, but it's the Lord that establishes his steps. Providence. Isaiah 14, verse 24. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed it, so shall it stand. I like this. We all like this verse. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. You probably heard of it. It's kind of a popular one. It's like John 3, 16. Everybody knows Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that, listen carefully, I have for you. Providence. I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Assuming that those plans are good, but they're not always comfortable. Providence. Right? Go to verse 25. Here's the providence of the story. And there's this really unique guy named Simeon. Okay? This is why I want to bring you this text. Because there's two, two characters that shows up in the temple. Simeon and Anna. We're really only going to talk about Simeon. Okay? But Anna's right there. And she reflects the very same truths here. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was a righteous and devout, uh, was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Okay, so let's just talk about this guy for a minute. First of all, his name literally means God has heard. This man has been praying for and hoping for all that he wanted for Christmas was the Messiah. He just wanted to see God's salvation plan. He just wanted to see God. Have you ever been in a season of your life where you just want to see God? Like I... You were so desperate. Maybe life was just chaotic. Maybe it was hard. Things were challenging. And you just wanted to see God. He just wanted to see God. And he had been praying for that. And it tells us a couple things about his character. Number one, that he was righteous. John MacArthur would say that means that he was, uh, he, was, he was justified. He had a relationship with God by faith. He was looking forward to the coming Messiah. Not only was he was righteous, though, he was also devout. Devout meaning that he was also sanctified. He was growing in that faith and pursuing that faith. So he's justified or sanctified in a relationship with God prior to Jesus' life and death and cross and resurrection, right? But he's a believer in God, a God-fearer, and he's living out the godly life, right? He's part of a very unique people in his time. People that we refer to in, in many different epics as what is called the remnant. Perhaps it was Zechariah and Elizabeth, same family as Mary, that was also part of that. Looking forward to the consolation of Israel, the coming Messiah. He was forward-looking, realizing that this day that we have right in front of us is not all that matters. There is a greater day. And for him, it was, to the, it was coming of the Messiah. 
So he was a righteous dude. He was a devout dude. He was waiting for the consolation. That word consolation uh, is it, the word perkalesis in the Greek. It means you don't really care about what it is. But it means comfort, encouragement, and solace. The comfort of Israel. We're speaking specifically of the Messiah. He is waiting for that day. And he has prayed to God, God, don't let me die until I see your salvation. What a great prayer. God, don't let me die until I see the realization of what you're doing. I just want to see you move, God. There's been times as a pastor that that has been the heartbeat of my prayer. God, I just want to see you move. Behind every great revival, there has been this spirit. God, I just want to see you at work. This is the spirit of Simeon. And it finally it says the Holy Spirit was also upon him. The Holy Spirit. And we're going to come back to that in just a minute because it's a little unique in the fact that the Holy Spirit is present here before Pentecost. Okay, Number four in your worship guides. Fill in. Our greatest expectations and longings reveal our heart's loyalties. What does your greatest hopes reveal about you? Like some of you guys are in football season, like you live, breathe, and die Alabama and Auburn football, right? I mean, you wear it all the time. You got your hats on all the time. On Saturday, you're going to binge. You're going to binge probably about eight hours on TV because you're going to watch every other game that might affect Alabama or Auburn, right? You're going to watch all the pregame. You're going to watch all the game, even when they call timeout or they have to review a play, every other play. You're going to watch it all, right? And you're going to, you're going to talk about it afterwards. You live, breathe, and talk Alabama-Auburn football. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's not God. But that does reveal something about you, doesn't it? Hey, 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 parents, grandparents, man, sometimes we build our life around them kids, don't we? We live and breathe and we have to show every picture. And I, I, I love it, by the way, when you walk up, say, see my, see my baby, uh, Sierra's like the daily pick right now, right? The daily pick, we've all seen on Facebook, the daily pick of the baby, right? right? That's great. But don't let that be your fullest longing. Youth, don't let your pursuit of a relationship be your fullest longing. Don't let your pursuit of a career be your fullest longing. Don't let sports be your fullest longing. Let Jesus be your fullest longing because that reveals a heart that is tender towards him. Simeon, he just wants to see Jesus. Matthew chapter six, Jesus would say, so where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Proverbs, Solomon writes, if you keep your heart with all vigilance for from it, Close the springs of life. He would also say, Proverbs 27, as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Our longings really echo what's going on in our heart and really therefore declare what's our loyalties. Simeon just wants to see God. In a minute when we have invitation, we're going to sing this great Christmas carol, but I want you to hear this verse. From Charles Wesley's Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy, joy of every longing heart. Oh, Simeon just wanted to see Jesus. Number five, there will always be a remnant of those who fear and seek the Lord. This gives me joy, right, as a Christian today, right? There are always going to be some people who fear God and love God and seek Christ. 
And listen, there may be times in church history where the church house is full, and there might be times in church history where there's just a few left. But you know what? God is driving by his providence all of history, and he's always going to keep a remnant, right, for his greater purposes. Thankfully, this 400 years prior to Jesus' birth, it was a a time of deep darkness. But there was people who were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And they were looking out for signs of the Christ to come. They were looking for it, hoping for it, praying for it. And thank God, God preserved them to see it. Let's talk about the remnant. Ezra Ezra chapter 9, verse 8, as we did the whole Minor Prophet series. It kind of echoes back in that post-exile it says, but now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and give us a secure hole within his holy place. Micah chapter 7 says, who is, like, who is a God like you, pardon iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? Malachi chapter 3 says this, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Malachi suggests a small group of people who feared God and sought the Lord. It's even the New Testament. Make a note of Romans chapter 11, verse 5. Y'all awake? Y'all good? You want to dance a little bit? You want me to sing some more? Hey, I got one yes, okay? That means I'm not at 0%, all right? Romans chapter 11, Paul says, So too, at this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. There's always going to be a remnant looking forward with a spiritual heart and a spiritual mind. Luke 2, 26. Here we go. It has been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit. This is incredible. By the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit of God working in really old covenant ways before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would show up in the Old Testament and up to this point now in Simeon, and he would lighten and encourage Simeon, and he would make Simeon aware of spiritual things. It had been revealed to the, to the, by him, to the Holy Spirit, that he would not see his death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So God made him a promise. And he came then to the temple this one day, this providential day. So Mary and Joseph bringing in, in, in baby Jesus to do the, 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 the sacrifice the, according to the law of God, be obedient to that. And on this one, just by chance, happenstance, coincidental, nah, providential day. Okay? As he came in, in the temple, in the spirit, I don't know if he was coming in singing or dancing all Pentecostal, like, woo! Now, the Holy Spirit led him there. And when the parents brought in the child to do for him, Again, according to the custom of the law, there is this moment. Now, I want to stop right there and give you number six. Number six, encountering Christ personally is impossible without the Holy Spirit. You cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit of God. You can't. Because it is only the Holy Spirit of God, a third person of the Trinity, that convicts you of your sin and makes you aware of your need for forgiveness and your need for Christ. You, I, we need the Holy Spirit of God. Right? It, Simeon's not here on his own power. The Holy Spirit of God has brought him to this moment. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God brought you to a moment of repentance and salvation. Right? And apart from that, you could not be saved. We need his Spirit. 
It was a promise, the Holy Spirit was a promise, and I'll just reference this quickly, write down Ezekiel chapter 36 and Jeremiah chapter 31. It was a promise of the Holy Spirit to come, this indwelling of God's presence. It would happen in a later date, Acts chapter 2. Jesus would, would promise of it in John chapter 16, verse 13. He said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For you not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Titus chapter 3 says of that spirit, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in order to find God. Right? So then Simeon, verse 28, Luke chapter 2. He took him up in the arms and he blessed God. Simeon blessed God. And said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart Here's this Advent word of the day in peace. By the way, without Jesus, there is no peace. Without Jesus, there is no peace. This long expected heart, hope of Israel's consolation and comfort. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, according to your promise. For my eyes have seen. If you underline it right in your Bible, I think you should. I just want to know this. I do. I got notes everywhere. It looks more like chicken scratch sometimes in my Bible. I think that's healthy for us. All right. So bring your Bible, chicken scratch in your Bible. But I want you to circle these words. Your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. And it gives this description. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. Now, listen, if you're in the temple and you're hearing these words, okay, Simeon's probably the crazy old man, right? Y'all know any crazy old men? Don't point to anybody in the room, okay? All right? Wives, don't nudge your husbands right now, right? Simeon's probably been there a lot, you know? And he's been talking about this promise that God gave him. And now he gets to hold this baby, 40 days old baby. By the way, we got four new babies right now in our church. And I absolutely love holding them. Can you imagine? I mean, Simeon's that baby guy, okay? And so he's holding this baby. And he's thinking, thank God for this. He is a light for the revelation to the, gen well, with the Gentiles. No, no, no. This is Israel's strength and consolation. No, no, no. Is the gospel that not just for one people, but for all people. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Glory for your people also, Israel. Isaiah 42, verse 6 says of the Messiah, of Jesus. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Plural. Plural. Isaiah 52, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. This Jesus is not just for Israel. This Jesus is for you, for all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts chapter 26, this message that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Salvation is for all. Number seven. Almost there. Hey, guys, fast sermon. Amen? Amen. God always... Hey, watch it over here, youth. God always keeps his promises. Amen? He is faithful to accomplish his will and his word. 
Holy Spirit of God made a promise to Simeon. And would you know it, God kept that promise. And he got to see the newborn baby Jesus. Because he had hoped for, prayed for, longed for. This is what Scripture tells us. If you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart. God answered that request. 2 Peter 1 verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption in the world because of sinful desires. Paul says... Of Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Their affirmation in Him. I scare you, right? Sometimes i got a preacher, got to bring up the vocal, you know, a little bit. Wake you up, right? Amen? Titus 1, 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages to begin. Oh, for, I love this one. I'll write this one down. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called in the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And this one's even better. Hebrews chapter 10. You know, I get excited about scripture. You know that, right? I can't help it. It's kind of what I do. All right. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is what, church? Faithful. God keeps those promises. Amen? Even when you don't. Verse 33. Luke chapter 2. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them. This is the last part of this little narrative. Simeon then blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. This is not a sweet little blessing. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through her own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You know what Simeon didn't say? Bless you, this child's going to have a perfect, easy, glorious, wonderful life, and everything's going to be fine. That's not what Simeon said. Simeon said this child is a blessing, and he will be an instrument of peace for, for some, but he will be a stumbling block of judgment for others. Listen, the gospel is a gospel of war. It is not just a gospel of peace. Because it, was, it confronts sin and death and judgment. It confronts our need for forgiveness. And it demands that we repent and submit ourselves under the lordship and leadership of Christ. Number eight. Number last. Amen. The gospel is only peace if received by repentance and faith. The only way we have peace is if we repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus. That is the only way to find peace. We, we find this as early as Genesis chapter 3. You may know this, if you, like you've studied the scriptures before. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 is what we call the proto-evangelion or the pre-gospel. It's a, it's a hint of the gospel to come in the person of Jesus. This is what God says to the snake. He says, I will put enmity or strife or conflict... Between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he, her offspring, specifically one, his name is Jesus. You've probably heard of him. All right. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. 
So early as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, there's shadows of a conflict of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus would say to himself, Luke chapter 12, verse 51, Do not think that I have come to give peace on earth. No, I tell you, but rather division. Jesus said that. Put Jesus next to that. This message that Simeon blessed Mary and Joseph, but the, the, listen, the prophecy of the child was not all fine, hunky-dory, everything's gravy, baby. This child, your child, is born to die for the sins of all humanity. Your child, this child right here, as Simeon blesses them, is going to be a problem. And not the good kind of problem. The bad kind of problem. There's going to be people who will want to hurt him and kill him. And as a result of that, you will suffer. Can you imagine the emotions of Mary watching her son die on a cross? Can you imagine the pain that she went through? You will suffer on behalf of this. You will suffer because of this. It's not just going to be easy. Dwight Moody says this. He said, there will be no peace in any soul until it's willing to obey the voice of God. Is it perhaps that, that maybe many of us in the room can't find peace in our life? It's because we're not willing to obey the voice of God. <laughs> I thank God for Mary and Joseph. Two young hey, teenagers, you're never too young to be obedient to God, be used by God. Two young kids <laughs> thrust into some crazy circumstances, obeyed God. Jesus, who was God, obeyed the Father fully, fully. So that he sets a model for us that if we obey God, he can bless us. But if we don't obey God, how can we expect God's blessings? Now, I just want to read the end of that little section. So if you have your Bibles, go back to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read this last little part of this. I'm going to ask one question and we're going to land a plane. Okay, and then we're going to sing. Is that okay with you guys? All right. There was a prophetess. Now, that's a hard word. Like, what does that mean? Like, she was a female preacher? No, I think she was a spiritual leader. Okay. All right, you can read a lot into that. I don't think that's what it says. But anyway, there was a, a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phineal and the tribe of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years. So she was old like Simeon. OK, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And there as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and praying night and day. Uh, I love the fact that it gives us this description of this woman. She is a model again of faith. By the way, ladies, listen to me carefully. Sometimes you model faith better than us men. This is a good example of that. Here's a woman who, who did not depart from the house of God. She wanted to be where the spirit of God was. She wanted to be where they talked about God. And she wanted to look forward to what God was doing. All right. Verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So not only did God grant uh, Simeon the, his, his request, but God gave also this other woman in the temple the same blessing, a chance to see what God was up to, a chance to see what God was doing. Now, I think that for us, a couple of things. Number one, there's an example to follow. But number two, there's, there's a command to obey in our life. We must obey the will of God to seek his will and his word at all times. Which leads me to one question. One question. And then I'm done. 
Here's the question. Do we position ourselves for God's blessings by our obedience to His Word? Do we position ourselves for God's blessings? Now, what I don't, I'm not saying that God's going to give you a million dollars and you're going to have it healthy, wealthy, and wise if you'll just obey everything in God's Word. That's not what the Bible says. But do we put ourselves in a position by, by our obedience to His Word that He can bless us spiritually? Or are there things that are being restricted from you spiritually, blessings, because of your disobedience and your sin? Are there things in your life that's keeping you from walking faithfully obedient to his word and his law? And that's the reason why you're struggling getting used by God and allowing God to work in you. We look to Mary and Joseph. We look to Jesus. We look to examples of Simeon and Anna. We live, we breathe by the word of God. We are, we are biblical people of all things. Let's live there. Let's pray together. God, thank you, Lord, for your word today. Lord, I pray that challenge to us, Lord, Lord, to follow your word, to follow your law. Lord, to be obedient, Lord, to be faithful, Lord, knowing that you are faithful to keep your promises. We thank you for the example of Simeon and Anna. Father, thank you, Lord, for that remnant that you have called according to your grace. Lord, that you use that remnant, Lord, ultimately for the greater purposes that you have. So for the remnant today in the house of God, Father, I pray that you would encourage all over the world Remind us, Lord, all that you are not done. Father, I thank you again for your providence. Well, if there's anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, by your Holy Spirit, you would draw them to repentance and salvation. Lord, build your church, build your kingdom, lead us to conviction, Lord. Help us to follow your word at every nuance. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?